0: Okay, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We are... Uh... let me start over. You can cut that. <laughs> welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible class. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 9 tonight. Uh, we're in our chronological Bible study for those of you who, have, uh, who are uh, members here at Stuart and have been a part of this. For those who are not members at Stuart, we are studying the Bible chronologically because it helps us keep in place... Uh, the various prophecies and various accounts and keep them in their order. We're better able to understand the various pieces of the accounts and more what was being said. And and it helps us even more so by the time we get to the New Testament. Uh, And in our current uh, context, chronologically in chapter 9 of Exodus, we are in this time frame and we we often refer to them as the 10 plagues. Uh, They are these plagues that were brought upon Egypt. Because Moses has been sent back from the wilderness at 80 years old uh, by God uh, to uh, lead the Israelites out of this captivity that he had promised so long ago, the slavery in Egypt. He had promised before Jacob even went down and even Joseph. And even before that, he had talked to Abraham about everything that would happen somewhat. And, uh, uh, And so Moses is fulfilling this prophecy that God had made about bringing them out from this captivity and making them this nation. But that doesn't just happen by Moses showing up and saying, "Hey, you know, it's time for you to let all these slaves go." Pharaoh's not like that, and so uh, these plagues come about pretty much for, for two purposes: uh, the Israelites needed to really learn again who God was, uh, so that they would, and that Moses was God's servant, so that they'd be ready to follow Moses. Uh, and certainly, Pharaoh and the world needed to see God's power, and so these plagues have occurred. And if you were in our class uh, last week, or listened to our class last week, then you know we were, we were in the plagues that dealt with the the plague of frogs that were sent on the land, and they were everywhere. And then uh, Pharaoh had the ability, or was given the ability, to uh, determine when they would go away, and that was so that you know it couldn't be a coincidence. He said this is when it's going to happen, and then God made it happen at that time, and so it showed that God was involved. And then we had the plague of the lice, and the plague of the flies. Now, as we continue on in Exodus chapter 9, uh, it, things have changed, and, and they changed somewhat last time as well, as initially the plagues were on everybody in the land, but last week they changed to where, you know, Goshen, where the Israelites were, was singled out and separated, so it wasn't, you know, all these plagues were not, were not happening on them uh, any longer, and that part's going to continue, but something that is going to change here as we get into chapter 9 is uh, everything that's happened at this point really seems to be more of a nuisance Uh, whereas when you get into chapter 9 you have things that are actually causing death Uh, and so it's more significant the impact on the health of the individuals in egypt at this point uh, as well as the animals in egypt becomes kind of a step up if you will it's like god is ramping up the intensity of the plagues to try to make sure that Uh, that, you know, that Pharaoh understands who God is and will eventually get to this place where he lets Israel go.
1: Yeah, I think um, that we should take note that the first couple, the first four or five of the plagues, they mock the Egyptian gods or they mock their livelihoods. They take something that they would see as mundane and turn it against them. And we're going to see a shift here where God is no longer just attacking them with what they believe or how they act or their business. is going to start physically harming livestock and people and their land. Also I think we should like you mentioned that the first couple plagues affected everybody but as they've gotten more severe God has started to show favor to the Israelites over those who live in the land of Goshen. God has shown favor to them and that every plague up until this point has ended with the phrase but Pharaoh's heart was hard, or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. We're or going to start, the to, or yeah. the magicians' hearts were hard. We're going to start to see some variations on that terminology in the next couple of verses, in the next couple of plagues.
0: Okay, so we we got another plague, and you know, some of the plagues God has specifically told him what's going to happen. Told Pharaoh had Moses tell Pharaoh what's going to happen before they happen, and some of them have more seemed to be a response or a punishment for the fact that Pharaoh repented and then didn't repent so he changed his mind so chapter nine of the book of exodus beginning in verse one then the lord said to moses go into pharaoh and tell him thus says the lord god of the hebrews let my people go that they may serve me for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them behold the hand of the lord will be on your cattle in the field on the horses on the donkeys on the camels on the oxen and on the sheep there will be a very severe pestilence And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So we'll stop there just for a second. Uh, I I wanna highlight something before we talk about what is happening here. Uh, In in just a few minutes we'll be in another plague and then this other plague is gonna impact the livestock. And yet what we're reading about in this plague it seems to be that this disease is going to come in and destroy all of the livestock and so people people have a problem there understanding what's going on they say well if all the livestock are killed with this disease on beast uh, in, in the plague in the beginning of chapter nine then how are their livestock alive to be affected by the the hail storm that's coming later and i think something that we just read here should help us and that is what god is saying as moses goes before pharaoh is you need to be prepared because there is this disease coming, and it's gonna impact all of your animals, but he emphasizes something about being in the field. And so it doesn't seem to be the case that this is a generic statement where God is saying, I'm gonna destroy everything that is considered livestock, all of your domesticated or uh, meal producing, if you will, uh, animals in the land, I'm gonna bring this disease but, but he's not saying I'm going to destroy everything. He's just saying I'm going to destroy specific parts of it. It's again this idea of detail. God is, is detailed in what he is presenting to Pharaoh and what he's saying to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh can understand this is not a coincidence. You know, you, you could see coincidence here. You could see, okay, we had all these frogs that, by the way, didn't go back in the river. They just died and people scooped them up and piled them up. Well, that's gonna cause disease, right? And then you got lice and flies, and they're moving around, and they're spreading more of the disease, and so so this disease is gonna spread because of that. Okay, that would be coincidence or results-oriented kind of a a situation in the land, but this is not what's happening here. This is miraculous. Now, could God have used it that way? Certainly, that's possible. But specifically, it's pointed out that God's the one that's doing this, It's not just happening by natural means. And what God says is going to happen to Pharaoh. Hadn't started yet. He says to Pharaoh, again, you've got a choice. You're the leader of this land, and your choice is, if you're not going to let my people go, then here's going to be the consequences on your people and on your livestock, on on your prosperity and ability to produce food. Oh, and by the way, the Israelites out here who belong to me, they're not going to be affected so again we see god
1: having moses warn pharaoh which lets us into the idea that these plagues aren't to harden pharaoh's heart these aren't to make him angry in an ideal circumstance pharaoh would be receptive and this would actually soften his heart and god is again giving him this opportunity to let that change occur a day he gives you a day tomorrow whole day (laughs) you have time work this out and he doesn't you also see that god tells moses to tell him to let my people go i think that's interesting because pharaoh being the ruler over this captive nation would have called israel his people they're his slaves and god's making the distinction that they belong to him and not to pharaoh yeah they, they've never been Pharaoh's. Have they? yeah they're, they've are they never been his people they've always belonged to god and um one thing i saw while studying that i thought was interesting is that the egyptian people had a cow god oh yeah this is again affecting one of their gods right and that this plague would have affected that and their perception of their god. They had a mother goddess named, what's my say, Hathor, who took the form of a cow.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a, each one of these, I mean, I I don't want to say that, you know, you don't want to be dogmatic and say that every one of them is about that god, but each one of these plagues does impact one of the supposed gods of Israel, uh, and that would have come into play as these magicians stand before Pharaoh because they represent these gods and so uh, and they're going to be affected. let's start again in verse six so the lord did this thing on the next day and the livestock of egypt died but of the livestock of the children of israel not one died then pharaoh sent and indeed not even one of the livestock of the israelites was dead but the heart of pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go you know in the book of hebrews we're told that faith is the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Our faith grows and develops because of the evidence that we see. We study God's word. We see what it says. We see evidence of God. We see evidence of what he wants. And we can see that even in the world. And that builds up our faith. Well, in this account, just like Moses said what happened for God the next day, everything starts happening and then all the, the animals start dying. And Pharaoh sends a delegation out to Goshen. To find out if it really is true because, you know, we're in a pandemic right now in our world and you can't say uh, although there are places, certainly there are no disease, you can't say, well, look, this city has been affected, but this city hasn't, you know, that's just not the way disease works. Uh, But when you get into this situation and what was happening with this disease, when Pharaoh sends his uh, whatever his delegation out to Goshen to check everything out, not one animal sick, not one, there's not one case. In Goshen, and that's specific because God said that's the way it was going to be. So He saw the evidence, but did He did He develop faith based on that evidence? Just because you see it doesn't mean you accept it. And rather than draw Pharaoh to a level of faith to really where he'll now admit uh, who God is, he's still hung up on the idea that he thinks he's a god, uh, as well as the gods of Egypt. And he just says, "I'm, I just, I just don't believe that." this is going to defeat me. I find it interesting how stubborn
1: Pharaoh has become by this point that he's already seen four of these prophecies, these plagues come true and the effects play out exactly as Moses and God had warned. And you see here when this starts to happen he knows that it's true. That's why he sends a delegation out to Goshen just to confirm if he didn't think that it would be true he wouldn't have sent anybody. Right. So the fact that he believes that what Moses and God are doing it's true that he believes in the power of the Hebrew God, and yet he's still so stubborn that he doesn't see it worth surrendering yet.
0: Okay, let's go into the next plague now. He didn't let the people go. Verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt and then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast now we'll stop there just a second so similar plague yet different you know we've got the disease on the beast in in the first part of chapter 9 and now it is a different disease but it's also on man And it's interesting, a couple little things that stand out to me in this text is that God, first place, he doesn't give Pharaoh warning this time. You know, he's not sending Moses in and saying, here's the details of what's coming, so be prepared because tomorrow it's going to happen. He didn't do this. So it looks like, again, it's a response to the fact that Pharaoh uh, did not respond to the last plague. It's almost like it's a punishment. So he says, take the dust of the ground or the ashes from the furnace, throw it up in the air, and let it... uh, Go out, And the text says it went into all the land of Egypt. That's a significant statement because there is no possible way that, that Moses and Aaron could grab enough of the coals or the, the ashes from the furnace and throw up in the air that it could scatter over the whole land of Egypt. Right? You get that. This has to be God causing that. The throwing of the ashes is not causing it. The throwing of the ashes is symbolic of what God is doing. And so what he does here is, he says, all this dust is going to cause, or rather what I'm doing from it, is going to cause the boils to come out, and it's going to go on man and beast as well. So it's, going to, it's getting closer now. It's going to impact people that you know. And we'll read that in just a minute. Yeah, I love the fact that we're starting to see God's showmanship
1: in the plagues again. In the beginning, we saw God taking the, st- the staff and turning it into a snake. the water and wine it was all very showy and here we have him again with this physical representation of Aaron and Moses sticking their hands into this soot and ash and you can imagine this dark cloud of dust and fine ash in the air symbolizing the plagues that God's going to bring down on them also we see that this is the first time where God is physically harming the Egyptian people directly the
0: people yes and I think that's foreshadowing to the plagues that are coming up next yeah. yeah, when it started, you could always put it off on it was difficult and it happened to somebody else. Now it's hitting home. In fact, if you start in verse 11, look at this. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. Now that's interesting to me because if you've been a part of this study, as we've done the recordings over the last several weeks, uh, one of the things that we've tried to highlight is the magicians have replicated some of the things that have been done. Like when uh, Aaron threw the staff down and it became a snake, well, the magicians replicated that. They, they made snakes too uh, in some way, whether they pretended or whatever, but they did it. And then Aaron's snake ate theirs, and, and then that happened with the water and the blood and everything. And, and one of the things that we tried to point out is if these guys really had power, wouldn't it have been better to cause it to stop happening than to add to it, right? Right? You want if, if Moses turns the water to blood, or if God does through Moses, and the magicians really have power, wouldn't the thing you would expect them to do to be to counteract that and clear the water? That's not what they do, because they can't. So in this account, all of a sudden when these boys are here, these guys who are supposedly powerful men uh, and represent their gods, which is where they supposedly get their power from, They can't even stand before Pharaoh at this point because it happened to them. They're sick. They can't even stop it on themselves, much less on anybody else. And I I don't want to get off track and, you know, interrupt whatever Rich is about to say about his points. But I do want to add a little side note. I see this a little bit in the way people react toward preachers. You know, we, we live our lives and we, we, we make bad choices. We get involved in sin and then we go to a preacher because we think that a preacher can fix it all for us. And yet in Romans chapter 3, one of the things that the Apostle Paul said is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes your preacher. So if the preacher can't get rid of even his own sins, how's he supposed to get rid of somebody else's sins? only one that can do that is God. And this is a kind of a parallel event in that the magicians who are supposed to be able to do all these powerful things—they're not going to help Pharaoh and they're not going to help Egypt because they can't even help themselves. The only one who can stop this event is God. Yeah, I think um, I wanted to point out
1: that the Hebrew word here that we translated as boil literally means to burn. So I can imagine this like terribly painful, pusuous boil on their hands that cause pain to walk or touch or do anything. And again, you mentioned that the Egyptians, that these magicians, they have represented gods, and they had gods of medicine. And yet, even in this situation, their gods of medicine couldn't do anything to help them. So this yes, is yet another They plan. had a god
0: for just about everything, didn't they? Yeah.
1: This is another plague where God directly challenges one of their pagan gods.
0: All right, and then finally, verse 12, but, that's a contrast, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, as he says he did not heed them, I wonder who the them is. And I think there are possibilities. Maybe it's uh, It's Moses. It's not God. You know, He doesn't say he doesn't heed God. Uh, he says them, so it's not God. Could be Moses and Aaron. I think more likely it could be the message from the magicians. See, because by saying that they couldn't stand before him gives us the impression that Pharaoh called them. You, know, you don't just, you know, leisurely walk in before pharaoh he calls you in and so in the earlier events when these plagues had occurred he would call them in and then they would replicate them when he tries to call them in this time they cannot come in because the plague has affected them so just like earlier when they said you know what this seems to be the finger of god when they're trying to say him uh, say to him in some way that this god is stronger than our gods and he didn't listen then evidently there's a message that's unrecorded here that when they could you can't just refuse Pharaoh so they had to send some kind of message and evidently in that message they're trying to get Pharaoh to back off a little bit to understand that this is more powerful than they can deal with and the text says very clearly that because of what God has done here Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he won't even listen to these magicians. Yep. Again I think we mentioned
1: earlier the idea that every single plague previously somebody hardened their own hearts or pharaoh's hearts was hardened by the words of the magicians and here we see that the phrase that god hardened pharaoh's own heart and i think it's important to look at this not through like our english american eyes of god directly being the cause for pharaoh hardening his own heart rather you look through it as an expression that they would have used of attributing actions to god to show that god used them against him yeah that god took pharaoh's own stubbornness
0: And use it as his own punishment. Okay, we may have to speed up a little bit because uh, we're going to run out of time like we did last week. And our recording's going to cut off. So (laughs) we'll start in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart. And on your servants and on your people that you may know that there's none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this, very, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Now, stop there just a minute because there's something significant that comes out there that Paul actually, by the way, brings up again over in Romans chapter 9, and that's this. As God is about to bring this next plague, he sends Moses back before Pharaoh to tell him again, this is what's going to happen. It's another choice. But more specifically, this time he says, I'm going to impact again, closer, this is getting closer to you as these plagues go on, and we all know what's coming. You get to the 10th plague, and it's going to be his son that dies. So it's getting closer and closer and closer until it eventually gets to his son. Uh, and and what God is saying specifically to Pharaoh is, there's a reason it's happening like this. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I, I gave you your authority. I put you in this position. So he's talking about his providence that put this particular man on the throne in Egypt at this time, because God knew how stubborn he would be. And God says, I have tried to show you over and over and over again who I am, and yet you still are the same person I knew you were, in that you keep exalting yourself and and trying to to depend on yourself, and yet look where that's gotten you. You haven't accomplished anything of getting rid of any of any of these plagues. You still refuse to bow down to me, and it keeps getting worse. I find it interesting that God, through Moses at this point, is presenting
1: himself as merciful. That he's explaining the fact that he could have wiped Pharaoh from the face of this earth. And yet, the only thing keeping Pharaoh from these grave, deathly dangers is God. So it's interesting to see that. I can only imagine how
0: Pharaoh would interpret this message. Yeah, he's telling Pharaoh, I've been easy on you. Yeah. I I have been merciful to you. But it's going to get worse. All right. Verse uh, 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every beast which is found in the field and is not brought home, they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses, But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So again, as Rich was just talking about, we're seeing a a pretty significant example of God's mercy. Because he goes to Pharaoh and he says, look, you got a choice again. And I'm I'm tightening my grip here. It's getting worse. I could have just wiped you out. But we're getting closer. And he says, I'm going to tell you what's coming. And I'm going to tell you how to avoid it. He actually has two ways to avoid it. One way is, let the people go, but God's already said, I know you're not going to do that. So the second thing is, get your people and your animals out of the fields. That's because that's where the storm is coming. It's not going to be everywhere. In a minute, we're going to read about Moses coming into Pharaoh and leaving, you're thinking, if there's a hailstorm out there, how in the world's he getting around? Well, this hailstorm is not every single place It's happening where God said it's going to happen, which is out in the field. So he says, you better get these people and these animals out of the field. And the text tells us very clearly the people who believed him did it, and the people who didn't, didn't. That's a whole other sermon. Uh, If you believe God, you do what he tells you to do. We have a whole world of people today who say, oh yeah, I believe in God, but we don't follow him. Oh, I think I'm going to get to heaven because I believe in God, but I don't do what he tells me to do. I don't worship him. I'm not a part of his church. I don't live my life according to his will. Well, guess what? You don't believe him then. If if these people, the ones who believed God, and when he said, hey, I'm bringing a hailstorm tomorrow, they got their animals out of the fields. And guess what? Their animals lived. Their people lived. I mean,
1: again, just to tag off of the idea of how great of an illustration this is for our own spiritual life that... God is telling you there's something bad is going to happen. And there is a way to avoid it. And he gives you a, it's a really easy way to avoid the bad things. And he's done all these things in the past to prove his power, to prove that he has the power to save and to not save. And yet you still see so many people who acknowledge that God did these things, but they're not going to act on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a difference in acknowledging it and following it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, 22, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field, throughout throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So we're reading about a significant thunderstorm event. And uh, you know, this is time of year that that is a good time to talk about that, right? Because uh, especially if you live kind of in the southeast, uh, north of us, uh, but in the southeast part of the United States, uh, you know, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, those states have dealt with in the last month or so, six weeks, eight weeks, significant storms have come through and they've had tornadoes and they've had lightning strikes that have created uh, you know, problems on the earth and fires and things like that. And they've had hailstones. I saw this week a picture of a hailstone that was like the, the size of a small football. Uh, you can imagine what kind of damage that that will do. And that's what's happening in Egypt. Only it's not, you know, because a cold front has been coming down from the north and the moisture has been coming up from the Gulf of Mexico. You didn't know I was a weatherman, did you? Uh, No, that's not what this is about. This is about God specifically saying when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, I'm in control even of the powers of nature. Now you get to the New Testament and the apostles, those men who would be the apostles, they struggled with that. They struggle with that when they're in a boat and there's a storm and they're scared and they wake up jesus and he says you've got such little faith god even controls the elements he can control what he desires to control and in this account he is proving that kind of power i mean i don't know
1: which egyptian god god is challenging at this point but it is evident that he is pulling
0: something that. There's probably god-like. multiple, because yeah. they do have a goddess of the weather, and they, or yeah. a god of the weather, and a goddess of the crops and all of that, so it's, it's very, probably multiple. It's probably
1: challenging a lot of them, but there's something so godlike and powerful about the imagery of fiery hail and lightning falling from the sky.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. significant, right? Yeah. That would be scary. This would be a scary event. I mean, sickness and flies and frogs, that's bad, but this is scary. If you're living through this and hearing this thunder and seeing these lightning uh, claps and uh, you know the the hailstones, this is a scary the vision. shock and awe from this plague is probably just as effective as the actual and
1: damage and might be the point
0: yeah the consequences are dying but the point is look at God 25 and the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt all that was in the field both man and beast and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Well, let's stop there just a second. So what about the fields of Goshen? Did they have to worry about going out and bringing in their animals or bringing in their uh, the people that were working? Did they have to worry about that? They didn't because the storm didn't go there. It's like there's this invisible barrier that God has set up between Egypt and Egypt and the Israelites, and God says these plagues are, are not going to happen there, and the reason is God is, he's not just showing his power, he's showing who, who are his people, so that Pharaoh knows and Israel knows, uh, you know, that God God can protect them, and God can punish those who do not follow him. Yeah. It's interesting because God so often
1: wants Israel to prove their loyalty to him. But at this point, God, knowing their hearts, has decided that they
0: have already done that. Yeah. Okay. 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now, I do want to stop there because of this. Why do you suppose he says, I've sinned this time? What about the others? It's See, I, I, what I see in this is not that he is acknowledging that, okay, he did something wrong this time, but he didn't last time. I think what he's acknowledging is the severity of all this. You know, okay, I, I let it go too long. Yeah, it's getting too tight on my neck here, what God's doing, and it's just so difficult, and so I give up. It's basically a surrender. The only thing is it's not a real surrender maybe he thinks it is maybe he feels like it is uh, maybe he is completely in his mind committed to saying look i i've, I've got to follow through i've got to, i've got to let these people go because this god's too powerful i don't know what he's thinking here i know the parallel is if something bad happens in my life you know if, if people today that if they get to the COVID 19 you can guarantee i guarantee you Anybody who has any knowledge or spirituality of them at all, when they get a diagnosis that says, oh, you've got COVID-19, they're trying to change some things in life. They're trying to say, okay, yeah, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be right with God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to cry out to God. But guess what? If they get well and they go home, I wonder how many of them follow through. That's where Pharaoh is here. He just can't bear the fear, not just the, the hail. The thunder's bothering him. The lightning is bothering me. So, it's, I, out of this fear, he says, Okay, you win. God wins, and, and I'm going to let the people go. I mean, to me, this
1: just proves how selfish Pharaoh is that these first six plagues that wrecked his nation, he was fine with. He was like, Yeah, that's inconvenient for them, but I'm Pharaoh. I will still get food and service somehow. Once it starts to actually endanger him and it gets closer and more personal. He
0: decides oh maybe i need to turn a little bit maybe i need to do some changing yeah you know you brought something up there that i should have highlighted a while ago some of these crops that we're reading about here and i'm going to read about more in a minute uh, some of them were ready to harvest you know it was time for them to come in for the harvest and if that's the case this has an immediate impact on their livelihoods not just staying out of the storm But it has impacted crops that were supposed to be harvested, whether it was for their clothing, you know, the making of clothing, or their meals. And so this has an immediate impact on them. All right, verse 29. And Moses said to him, this is in response to Pharaoh saying, I have sinned and I'm going to let the people go. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's but as for you and your servants I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God how did he know that because Moses the judge now he's not the judge although I think he's probably figured it out by now he's seen the evidence now this is a message from God Pharaoh calls Moses in Moses shows up Pharaoh says okay look I have sinned Uh, I'm going to let him go, and Moses says, you know what, I'm going to go talk to God because you've said it, so I'm going to go talk to God, and he's going to stop all this mess, but I know you're not going to follow through. I think this points all the way back to where this started. Remember Moses struggled to go back, and you tell Figaro, let my people go, but he's not going to listen And I'm going to kill his son before this is all over. And then when Moses went in and he said to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, in fact, I'm going to make things harder. Moses went back to God and said, why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? See, he didn't get it. He didn't get what God was saying. Now he gets it. Now he sees how stubborn this Pharaoh is. And now he understands this is not over yet. Uh, I'm going to stop this plague, or God's going to stop it, because I'm going to go ask him to. But this is not over. You're not going to follow through. I wonder if this is how God views us,
1: knowing that we might not repent at this time, but still offering us the opportunity to. I find it interesting that God has told Moses that Pharaoh is not going to change, that we're going to have to go all the way to killing his firstborn son, and yet he still instructs Moses
0: to ask him, are you ready to give in? Yeah, significant amount of patience here too. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't... I don't usually act with this kind of patience. (laughs) All right, 31. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. So it's almost like this is a parenthesis that is inserted here so that we understand the impact of this. Uh, Most especially the two that we're reading about that are damaged there would be more of a textile type of plant and so this immediately affects their living condition. However, you see mercy in the fact that this happens at a time in which the food supply is not as significantly impacted. So again, what we're reading about is, as we read of this incredible power of God in controlling the storm and the thunder and the lightning and the hail, it yet is still yet restrained. He's 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 trying to draw Pharaoh to a place where he will acknowledge God, He knows he's not going to do it, yet he still tries to draw him there. That's an impressive statement of God's mercy. Uh, It's an impressive statement of God's restraint. I mean, God has severely inconvenienced
1: Egypt by the crops he did destroy. But the food crops, which weren't yet ready for harvest, that down the road would be providing for Egypt, he spared those. And I think,
0: again, that's God giving Egypt time. Yeah, yeah all right 33 so moses went out of the city from pharaoh and spread out his hands to the lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured on the earth so there was rain in in this had significant rains and when pharaoh saw that the rain the hail and the thunder had ceased he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart he and his servants so the heart of pharaoh was hard Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Interesting to me uh, that God not only knew the details of the plagues that were coming, so he could tell Moses what to do and what was going to happen, but he also knew the result. He also knew the result. And the result was Pharaoh and his servants are still not going to listen, Moses. Can you imagine how frustrating this would be for Moses? And I wonder if maybe, and the answer to this is yes, I wonder if maybe at least a part of what's happening here is also to prepare Moses. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he, when, he, when he takes Israel out and they go in the wilderness, was that smooth sailing? Was it easy? Was it the case that the Israelites always believed in his leadership and believed in God? Or was it maybe the case that they also were stubborn and weak and frustrated as well? And was Moses himself not also sometimes stubborn and frustrated and weak as well? so all of this is about god telling them what's going to happen making it happen stopping it and telling them before it happens what's going to be the end result and it happens exactly the way that god says it's going to happen on a completely unrelated tangent we brushed
1: over the fact that this plague involved rain and i didn't think anything of it but egypt is like very dry that's why they have these intricate canals to deliver water to the crops the idea that rain and flooding would have been something spectacular to them just on its own
0: especially during harvest season it would be dry yeah yeah so you know again we're walking through this these plagues and we're getting to this place now where next class we're going to start in on the eighth plague so we're getting high in numbers which means if if you've read it and you know it you know what's coming so as god just kind of tightens his grip on pharaoh he gets closer and closer to this place to where Ultimately, the consequences are unavoidable. And I think that's a parallel. We'll close with this. It's a parallel with our lives today. And the parallel is, if we're living our lives apart from God, you know, he may be restrained right now. He may be acting out of his mercy and waiting. But there's going to come a time where, that, where I'm going to reach the end of the road. And the consequences are going to be unavoidable. Even if I turn around and, and turn back to God, the consequences are still going to be there. Okay, you want to add anything before we close? No, I think that's good. Let's close with a prayer then. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be before your throne, and we're so thankful for these accounts that you have pre- preserved for us to help us build our faith and grow closer to you. And we're so thankful, Father, that you uh, You are so merciful to us and that you guide us so lovingly. And we pray that we will listen and that we'll follow you and always trust in you and not in ourselves. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay.